You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Well, good evening, everyone. How are you? Good. Merry Christmas. We can say that now, right? Thanksgiving's over. We can say Merry Christmas now. So um, tonight we are going to spend some time talking about, well, let's see, can we just close and lock the doors for a second? Nobody leave. We're going to talk about the budget tonight, okay? So don't panic. Don't panic. We're actually going to talk about stewardship, which is the, uh, the spiritual side of the practical thing that is the budget. And uh, so I'm going to share a little bit about kind of how our process works and talk a little bit about our pledges. And then Steve's going to come up and, and do a short lesson on the topic and give us some scriptures to think about and some practical challenges to think about. Oh, and you get a slideshow working, it looks like. Fantastic. Mine's that black one right there, the second one down. That's my slide right there. You can get that up for me. You got it. You got it. Good for you. All right, so budgeting. Let me just share a little bit about how our budgeting works in the church. We do an annual budget every year. About this time, we submit a budget from, uh, in most cases, it's by region, but in the coastal L.A. region, we've broken it out into each of our four Uh, We call them cost centers, but essentially if our four churches, our two Spanish-speaking ministries share a budget, so there's just one there, but then South Bay, Long Beach, and the West Side all have their own individual budgets. And each of those groups, each of those cost center groups are self-sufficient. So uh, for the most part, whatever's collected here in the South Bay stays in the ministry here in the South Bay. Uh, In Long Beach, it stays. In the West Side, it stays. The exception is our Spanish-speaking ministries. We launched those a couple of years ago with uh, their own staff, their own meeting facility, and we have uh, a plan to kind of help them get off the ground by funding them a little bit each year. Um, we have uh, our, our South Bay group has shared funding with them two years ago and then again some last year to help support them and to become self-sufficient. They've got a five-year plan to get to be self-sufficient, so that's about two years away. Um, this year, one of the other groups is going to help them out. Uh, but otherwise, we're all kind of independently financially, or independent financially. And that's encouraging because it means that we can kind of develop our own dreams and visions for what we want to do in the South Bay. And uh, it's also encouraging because it, it motivates the leadership in each of those groups to be thinking about both the income side and the expense side of our budgets and what we do. And uh, that they're really in charge of their own destiny in a lot of ways. They can be creative about what they collect, how they collect, and what they distribute and spend money on. So um, very encouraging to me and I think certainly to our staff who feel a certain amount of independence and opportunity for growth because of that. So anyway, the budgets get developed with the help of uh, small groups in each of the churches. Um, The elders are involved in that. The staff is involved in that. And then some other volunteers are involved in that. And those get reviewed by the elders for the coastal L.A. region. We've had our meeting uh, in November about that, and we'll have another one in December about that. And then when we review it and approve it and all that, we send it to the L.A. Church of Christ board. So there's a board of, I think it's 12 or 13 people right now, who look at all of the budgets uh, coming in from each of the regions. And they have goals for us, or really requirements for us, to have a certain amount of reserve in our budgets, in, in you know, cash in the bank, so we're not spending down to nothing. 
and uh, they, the salaries are set by a salary model that they approve, so we don't really get to turn any knobs for salaries. We just, we just fill in a few blanks for the model and outspits the number for each of our staff members. So it's, very, uh, it's done kind of all in a very calibrated and purposeful way. Um, but they look at all that and make sure we've kind of checked all the boxes for our budgets, and then they, the board approves it. And the board is kind of the ultimate fiscal authority for the church, kind of the corporate church. And so they, they approve that. But the elders are very much involved with their oversight role of, you know, looking at the spending in each group, looking at the trends in each group and where things are going. So um, if you have questions about that process, love to talk to you about it. Most people, when I pull out the budget, they, you know, the eyes roll and they get really sleepy. And so we don't, we try not to punish you with that too often. But if you are interested, I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Um, we will be handing out our budget for 2018 at the workshop or somewhere around the workshop early in January. So you'll have a paper copy if you want to have a paper copy. Um, but this is something that we do as an organization, you know, kind of a corporate organization because we are a, a not-for-profit corporation in the state. But it's also something that we do so as a group we can be organized and we can plan. And, you know, the scriptures teach us that we're supposed to give not under compulsion, right, which means we think about it. We don't just knee-jerk. And we should probably spend not under compulsion. We should think about it and not just knee-jerk. And so we prepare budgets and we do all that. What drives our ability to prepare a budget and plan spending for any given year, and and spending I mean on staff, on facilities, on programming, on, uh, you know, benevolence, on all the things that we do here, um, what drives any of that is, is what we give in our weekly contribution. And so rather than trying to determine telepathically what you intend to give or compel you to give something by just handing out an index card with the amount that you're supposed to give, we ask you to provide a pledge. And so we do this very deliberately annually in January at our workshop. We ask you to look at you know, your existing pledge, consider if you want to change that up, down, whatever your circumstances Uh, compel you to do or permit you to do and then make sure that you've communicated that pledge through CCB to our administrative team so they can figure out do we have the resources to to do what we want to do. Um, So that's the point of our pledge. It's it's to allow you to decide. A lot of people feel weird about the pledges like hey you're holding me down or this should be secret between me and God and, and nobody else should know and I don't really see that in the scriptures anywhere. Um, we certainly don't want to tell you what to do as, as a leadership, although the scriptures do give some authority to command the rich to be generous, right? Um, so some of us fall into that category more than others. All, probably all of us are in it by world standards, but, but, but some of us here in the room more than others. But we're all compelled to be sacrificial and to be generous um, and to, to be a part of that. So we want to really take these pledges seriously and ask you to take your pledge seriously. So when we get, and, and this is a month away, so you've got a month to think this over, talk about it with your spouse, go through your own personal budget, uh, make decisions about what you will plan to do next year in terms of your giving. Uh, the other thing about a pledge is that it's, it's, a, it's a faith-forward way to think about your giving. Uh, too often we let we just kind of get our paycheck and we go, oh, here's how much I made, here's how much I want to give, or gee, I don't have enough this month, I won't give this month, or I won't give this week. That's really not a pledge. Okay, that's haphazard giving. That's not really well thought out giving. And so we want to encourage you to make a pledge that you'll honor 
by uh, completing that pledge, whether you choose to give weekly or monthly or every paycheck. I think CCB is set up to accept pledges in all those various forms. So you should be all about uh, giving a pledge that you feel uh, confident in your relationship with God about, like it's sacrificial, but it's also doable, and you're going to be able to, to, to do that as often as you've committed to do that. Um, pledges should be based on what you can do financially. Um, they should be purposeful, they should be proportional, and they should be progressive. There's my 3P sermon right there. So purposeful meaning you're deliberately deciding to give to the church. It's not just an accident or what you do with the leftover change in your, in your pocket. Um, it's proportional, as Paul tells the Corinthian church, that we set aside money in accordance with our income to be able to give and meet the needs. Um, and it should be progressive, meaning that as you grow as a Christian, as you kind of get your financial world under the reign of Christ, that you work in such a way as to be able to be more generous. And so as you grow as a Christian, you're able to be more generous, meet more needs, and that your pledge amount may grow and even your proportion may grow uh, compared to others. So that's kind of the, the scriptural model that we see in the New Testament from the book of Second Corinthians and other places. Um, when we don't meet the pledges that are given, then that creates not just, it, it creates a hindrance. It's a stumbling block to our spending plan, to our ministry plans. And so we have to recalibrate and think about what should we do or shouldn't do. Now we do have some reserves, so we don't knee-jerk you know, every month with this, but our trends over the last couple of years have been down. We've been eating into our reserve because we as a group have not been meeting our pledges. And so I really want to encourage you to think about your pledge as a promise, a promise to the body here, a promise to God at some level to, to, keep, uh, to make that commitment and keep the commitment that you make. I think we have a slide with some of the details about uh, what we're, how, how we're doing with this. So um, that first one, oh, I can read right there. Um, so the Mary's negative variance, okay, that's a, that's a counting word. That just means we are undergiving our pledges, the Mary group, uh, by just over $2,000 per week. So how much is that? How many weeks in a year? 52 times 2,000 is roughly 104, 100K. I would have I given you an A for 100,000. Um, that's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of programming. That's staff. That's that's starting a new, you know, a new Sunday service somewhere that's raising up, uh, you know, leaders. That's, that's, that's a lot, <laughs> that's a lot of availability. And that's what, that's just what was pledged, but hasn't been given. There are uh, four, I don't know if that's families or four people, uh, somewhere four to eight people there who, who are pledging, have pledged nothing. And from what we can tell, give nothing. Um, now, you say, well, they might be giving cash. Well, we really don't get that much cash every week. I think on a weekly basis for the whole region, it's less than $200. So it's, it's, it's not a lot of cash. So that means that there are some among us who have decided not to pledge. And, you know, I, I, I could dig through and find out who that is and set up a conversation. I'd much rather you come talk to me, that you initiate that, and say, hey, I've got a problem with how we're spending the money. That's why I don't give. Or... You know, I'm paying off a bazillion dollars in debt. That's why I don't get I mean, whatever, the, let's talk about that because that is a potential alienating factor, uh, something that Satan will use to make you feel less involved, 
and, and, and you know, guilt you out or whatever. So let's please talk about that. Please come see me or Steve or, you know, somebody that you trust in your life to talk about that. Because that's, ra- that's not really how we operate as a body, right? We're all in. We're, we give to each other. We all do what we can. And I think all of us can do better than zero, right? So let's, let me encourage you, if you're in that group, come talk to me and let's figure this out. Um, for the singles, it's a similar story. Nine who have not pledged, no record of giving, and, and a weekly variance of over $1,000 there. So there's another $50,000 or so. Um, total negative variance, 3163 um, That's like $165,000 a year. I think somebody did the math. That's a lot of money, right? That's a lot of money. So that's probably somewhere around 15%, 20% of our annual budget. So that's, you know, and that's, this isn't money that we wish was there. This is money that's been promised <laughs> through the pledge. Um, so, you know, just let's get the pledges right. Okay, let's get your pledge right for next year. Let's get make sure you're serious about that. And we realize stuff happens during the year. You lose a job. You have an unexpected medical bill, whatever. Things like that happen. But you can always change your pledge. That, you can do that any time. You don't have to wait till January to do that. So we just want to have an updated number ongoing all the time. And CCB allows you to change your pledge. Is that right? You can change your own? Yeah, okay. So you can go on and do that yourself. Um, so really, anytime. And if you don't know how to get onto CCB, you know we'll certainly be ready on the workshop day to help you get on there and get an account and get all set up. Or in the interim, there's a lot of people who use it and would know how to have you do that. Um, so let's let's change that. There's a $165,000 gap between what we've said we'll do and what we can't do because we don't have the the, the cash to do it. So a lot of ministry operates on volunteer, but there's a lot of stuff that that doesn't. We pay our staff, we pay for this facility and others like it. Um, it's, it's like the orchestra's coming up and it's time to get off the stage, right? So <laughs> I guess I guess that's what happens when we don't when we don't have the hundred and sixty five thousand dollars. <laughs> I really didn't plan that. I'm not sure what's going on. So anyway that's that I'm done with my slides, but I have a few more things to say. Um, let me encourage you, please, if, you, if, if you're curious about the budget, I hope it's not the case, I, but if you are mistrustful or if you're unsure of how it works, if you want to know more about that, I'm really wide open to talking about that. Um, I, it's, you know, I, I do it as a volunteer. I don't get paid to do any of this, um, and I'm, I'm happy to do it because it's a gift that I, I've, God's given me to be administratively minded, and, and they let me do it, and so I do it. But um, if you have questions about it, I'd love to clarify or answer questions or uh, dispel fears if I can. So please approach me uh, on that if I can. Let me share a couple of verses, or actually just one passage here. Second Corinthians 8, if you would. And the context for Second Corinthians is a follow-up to First Corinthians. In the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul makes his arrangements with the Corinthian church to collect an offering to give to those in Jerusalem and Judea who are going through a famine. And so he's, um, of course, out. He's Jewish and has a lot of connections back to Jerusalem, but he's out in the Gentile world 
in the wealthier parts of the world, including Corinth, which was probably one of the wealthy cities of the ancient world. And he, there's all these Christians in that church who are doing fine. They're not experiencing a famine. They're, they're, they're fine. And so he, and like the churches in Galatia and Macedonia and Ephesus and other places, he appeals to them to take up this offering during this time of famine in Jerusalem. So 1 Corinthians 16, he says, you know, here's what you should do. On the first day of the week, set aside the money in proportion with your income, and we'll set up to, to pull this gift together. Well, uh, they respond. We don't, there's letters, correspondence we don't have, but they obviously said, yeah, we'll do that. We're, we're agreeing to that. We're making our pledge so to speak. And then in 2 Corinthians rolls around and he's gotten word that he's getting ready to come pick up whatever they've collected over that time and take it to Jerusalem. But the word he's gotten is they're not ready. They forgot about it or they blew it off or they got, you know, distracted by worldly stuff. And, and so they're not ready. And so all these other churches, Ephesus, Galatian churches, Macedonian churches come or are on their way or getting ready to come on their way to Jerusalem to stop in at Corinth and pick up their gift and their brothers. And Paul's concerned for them that we're going to get there and you're going to have egg on your face <laughs> because you made this commitment and all these other groups have given and then you're going you're to have a goose egg. You're not going to be ready. And I want to save you that pain. And so let me, send, let, let me just send you this encouragement. So here's what he does. In chapter 8 and verse 1, he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing the servants to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. You know, Paul could have done a lot of things. He could have been really annoyed with the Corinthians. You know, he, he, displayed, he shared some of his annoyance earlier in the letter. He could, have, he could have commanded them. He could have said, I'm Paul. I started your crazy church. You guys need to get on board. I mean, he could have really come after him. But what does he do? He tells a story about God's grace working in the hearts of the church in Macedonia. And really, that's what giving is. It's a response to God's grace in our lives. It's a transformation that, that occurs when we see the world turned upside down because our lives have been cleansed from the inside out, right? And so Paul, he just shares this story with the Macedonians who, who were in poverty, who were in, under severe trial, he says. Apparently, those things aren't barriers to giving, who knew, right? I mean, we think, oh, I got all these trials. I got lots of debt. I got lots of stuff. Paul says they overcame it, right? They, over, they figured out how to do it. It's like when I was in college and broke and I was trying to get married and I was looking for money to buy a ring for Karina. And I was like, okay, what do I got to do? I'll sell this. I'll work extra shift. I'll do whatever I need to do. I wanted to do it because of, I was like, I get to marry her. I just need a ring. You know, I, I'll do this. And so that's how the Macedonians felt. They were like, let me figure out how to get this done. And so they did. And so that's the thing that Paul is appealing to in the Corinthians. He's not saying, do it because I said so. He's saying, look what God's grace can do in your heart. Look how he can turn you around. Um, he tells a story, and Paul is trying to draw out what he knows is in the Corinthians' heart. Because they, they said they'd give. They were the first to do so, it says later on in the chapter. And so the first offer to do so in the previous years. So... Let me appeal to you using that scripture to really dig around in your heart 
and figure out, am I being generous? Have I kind of settled into giving something that, that really doesn't feel like a first fruit anymore? It just kind of feels like one of the bills. Let me dig around in there and figure out what's going on, on in my heart. Um, there's more I could share on this, but I don't want to take any more of Steve's time. So um, we're going to do, just to be clear, we're going to take up pledges in January in our workshop. Please spend the next month or so thinking about this, praying about this, studying scriptures. Steve's going to give us a bunch of scriptures tonight, things to study, um, talking to your spouse, working on your own budget. You know, if your own finances are a little bit out of control, rein them in. Be disciplined enough so that we can give to the Lord and and spend our money on stuff that's really going to last. Amen? Amen. Thanks for your time. Amen. I appreciate Andy a ton, everything he does for the church locally, keeping my hindsight out of a sling, which is uh, probably one of the bigger things that he actually contends with. But uh, I do want to thank you guys for being here tonight. Um, I don't think the coal banks were welcomed, were they? Why don't you guys stand on up? Good to have you back in our midst. <laughs> Dude, all you need is a goatee, man. You totally have the hipster thing dialed in here. But uh, it's great to have you guys back. Super miss you. Appreciate all you've done for the kingdom here and in Memphis, especially keeping our friends, the uh, Hermans, Kevin and Lisa, out of trouble. Please uh, send them our love. Uh, with, in light of what we're talking about, though, I, I think there are a number of things that we need to think through as a church. And, you know, I go back to the early days in some ways, and I know we talked a lot about being sacrificial. And when it came to being sacrificial, looking at what we've accomplished... And I think as anything, when we mature, we can get more focused on just kind of going through the motions or sustaining our current state. And there may be not anything wrong with that in certain situations, but really thinking that through when it comes to what we want to accomplish for God based on the grace that was extended to us through Jesus Christ. And when it comes to money, it's, it's interesting conceptually how we can respond to it when it's talked about. I did a little bit of research on this, and I think you'll find some of this interesting. I'm going to have to give you the Major Reader's Digest version here tonight, in that um, I've got a limited amount of time. So um, with that, looking at the New Testament, it's really interesting that one out of every seven verses in the first three Gospels spoke about money. About one-third, 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus used in those three Gospels are on money. 15% of everything Jesus said was about money. He spoke on money twice as much as he did on prayer and faith combined. Now, can anybody tell me what the one subject is that he did go after that uh, he spoke about more than money? Oh, my wife got it, but I think she was privy to this in our staff meeting the other day. Yeah, it was the kingdom. That's the only thing that Jesus Christ talked about more than money. You know, and if we translate the amount of teaching Jesus did on money, money to our churches and to our ministers within the coastal Los Angeles, we would preach 17 messages on money at either on Sunday or at our midweek. So that means you'd be hearing from me three times a month, on, or every three weeks you'd be hearing from me on money. Needless to say, I think you may have heard about money from me three times last year. We 
need to take that in consideration in light of how significant it is, knowing that what money can represent for us when it comes to our own personal spirituality. There's a magazine, Relevant Magazine, it's a magazine of the Christian community that reported in uh, May 8th of 2016 that only 5% of professing Christians tithe. Furthermore, Christians give only 2.5% per capita compared to 3.3%. And this is interesting to Andy's point about the Macedonians and their condition. We give less today than was given during the Great Depression. And I think really being honest as we sit here tonight, in light of the fact that this is the topic, how are you feeling about the fact that we're talking about money tonight? Now, I know there's a few of you out there that are like, come on, Steve, bring it. I need to hear this. There's probably a few more that feel a little bit differently about that. But, you know, thinking this through again, you know, we all study the Bible, right? Remember the light and darkness study? Remember this thing called confession that we, most of us do with one another? Isn't it amazing we can talk about our deepest, darkest secrets in that study before we even became Christians? And if we're going to maintain our spirituality, it's an ongoing thing within the discipling relationships that we have. We can talk about immorality. We can talk about pornography. We can get open about all these things, but don't talk to me about money. You know, Galatians 5.19, we're familiar with it. We can talk about sexual morality, purity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. But throw money into the mix. and Right? And we've got to be careful with where we can go with that. And I think I owe you an apology in that I think sometimes I become a little bit too concerned with the packaging and the words that I use and making it palatable rather than just sticking with what Jesus has put out there. I mean, I even owe you an apology for Sunday. Um, I had to apologize to my wife with references to Kona. Um, but, you know, thinking it through, I was talking about generosity, being generous. And I think that's a nice way of packaging it because Jesus was sacrificial. We're called to be sacrificial. Now, within the realm of generosity... Gave a homeless guy two bucks yesterday, pulling off the uh, off-ramp. Was hospitable. Had people in my home. Gave blood. Serving kids' kingdom. That's generous. But is that what Jesus was talking about? I think when it comes to stewardship, there's a broad array of things. But when we are called to be stewards, when you buy a car, you pay, you're paying a monthly payment of, say, $300 a month. Now, does that $300 a month keep that car in the same condition it was when you bought it? Now, some of us might need to take things up a notch or two when it comes to that maintenance and, you know, car washes and that kind of thing. And some of us have kids and French fries underneath the seat are going to be an ongoing thing. But the reality of it is when we purchase that car, it doesn't stop with the initial purchase, even if we paid cash for it. There's maintenance. You're going to have to wax it. You're going to have to change the oil. There's going to be new, new tires that are needed. When you buy a home, does it stop with the purchase? You know, I hear some of you complaining about, man, maybe it would be better off going, just going back and renting based on how the weekends are consumed by you, your upkeep on your home. How much more so God's kingdom? Are we just trying to keep it in the state it was when we, when we entered it? Or are we really taking heart what Jesus says when he, he commands us to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and then the greatest commandment, to go make disciples of all nations? So we've got to be careful. 
Stewardship. The definition is the position and duties of a steward, a person who acts as the surrogate of another. For us, that would be a surrogate to who? Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say that surrogate manages property, financial affairs, or an estate. What's the property that we've been entrusted with? It's the kingdom. The, the second definition is a stewardship is the responsible overseeing and protection of something considered worth caring for and preserving. Now, I'm just going to put it out there. If you attend church and you give nothing, you care nothing. That's the long and the short of it. If there are issues that you need have, if there are financial challenges that you've got, there are means of overcoming that. As our Macedonian man told us, he saw Karina, he had to figure out a way to get a ring. I mean, if you want something bad enough, if you really value something bad enough, it's just like the, the parable of the, the, uh, the treasure, whether it be the pearl or the lost coin or whatever, you're going to go after it with all you've got to really achieve just from a standpoint of that sense of value, that's how it should be with the kingdom. And King David, I love what we see in First Chronicles when it comes to sacrifice. And just reading through this account of King David, his sacrifice wasn't just a financial act to fund the construction of Solomon's temple. He provided huge financial support, but he also provided a true picture of what being sacrificial looked like. In First uh, Chronicles 28, verse 9, we see David teaching Solomon about the importance of knowing God and seeking God. And it reads, So now, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, in the hearing of our God, observe and follow all the commands of the Lord your God, so that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance to your descendants forever. Now, looking at us, what kind of a inheritance are we going to leave to our spiritual and physical descendants? What do we represent? Isn't it the temple of God? That's again, that's what we've been entrusted with. Each one of us in our integral part of that body. He goes on in verse 9. Can somebody check in the uh, hallways to see if uh, we've got anything legit going on? If that, Oh, Amber Alert? Well, I wish somebody had their phone on. <laughs> Amen. Uh, if we could silence our phones, that would be helpful because I get distracted very easily. As we continue, though, in First Chronicles 28 and verse 9, it says, As for you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands the intentions of every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you. You know what? This thing I love about God is God's consistency. God is the same today as he was then. And what was he concerned with most based on what Solomon was conveying, or David was conveying to Solomon? The heart. You know, on a couple occasions, King David reminded Solomon, Solomon that he was selected by God, and therefore with that to be strong, to do the work he was called to do. And the thing I love about this with David is David knew that he would never see the temple. He gave up all of his wealth. He formulated the plans, and he gave it to Solomon with a vision. You know, when it comes to being sacrificial, it's estimated that his personal finances that were given were somewhere in the realm of 4 to $8 billion by today's money standards for the temple's construction. And, and, and looking at this, would you say that David was concerned with his own needs? 
You know, I think sometimes we can be overly concerned with our own individual needs and not enough for those around us. I, I tagged this about a month ago in the sermon I did on, the, on our preferences over our purpose. We can get caught up in ourselves. You know, meet my needs, feed me, take care of me. Well, guys, we're not all of our needs met on Calvary. I mean, I hate to use the analogy, but it all will burn. I mean, it is just sad to watch the account of these people. They live in Ventura, Santa Paula, Silmar, that have lost their homes. You know, and the firemen, the firemen are, are getting upset because they give people direction to get out, and they don't. And they're concerned with the lives. That's the thing that's most significant. How much more significant is our lives for eternity? And that's ultimately what we're dealing with here. You know, with David, he celebrated accomplishment. It's written, I think this is interesting, it's written that King David rejoiced when the people gave willingly and the temple was funded. King David teaches us that true success and true joy is found in the success, ultimately, of others. Now, thinking this through, in light of what was just stated in this verse, what New Testament passage does this remind you of? When it talks about the heart of the people here. Anybody? It says, he rejoiced when the people gave willingly. You know, I, I personally think that with Paul's knowledge of the scriptures, this may have been the very thing that, that motivated him to write 2 Corinthians 9. That his inspiration was the sacrifice that David and his people demonstrated in 1 Chronicles. In 2 Corinthians 9, it reads, Remember this, for whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That was the heart that David had. That was the heart that David's people had. And thinking through that, in verse 8 here, when it says... God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all good things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What's the significance of grace here? Anybody? You need me to read it again? God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What's the biggest source of grace we receive? Jesus Christ at the cross. We've been given that. So therefore, with Christ, everything else we have through Christ. It says all of our needs will be met. And with that, again, the grace here is the motivator so that we will abound in every good work. It's a promise here based on the grace that's been extended to us through Christ. And it goes on and it talks about the need to be generous and how they prove themselves in that area. And, you know, one of the reasons this is significant tonight is in light of where we are right now with our budget. Andy walked through all that for us. But I think the thing that I really want us to hang on to is not just keeping the lights on and having a facility to meet in on Sunday and the staff that you do have that meets the incredible depth of needs that we have as a church, but what about the vision going forward? Where are we going? I mean, are we, are we good with this? Is this good enough? I think this is the thing that we really need to think through. For me, there's room for vision. 
And the way that we'll accomplish whatever that vision may be is if each ligament understood God's grace and would do its work. You know, 1 Timothy 6, why is this a concern for me as a minister? Because I've been around 27 years as a disciple, 26 of those years on staff, self-supporting, supported by the church, I mean, all over the map, as an evangelist since 94, individuals that are not vested in anything don't stay around for anything. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people that were not vested in God's kingdom. You know where they are today? Not here, not in it, not participating. And it, it's, it is concerning to me as an evangelist. Paul puts this out there to Timothy as a young evangelist, helping him to understand the significance of money and the traps that we can fall into because of it. Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You know, what's one of the reasons you think people gave more than during the Great Depression than they do today? I think there were gratitude, and I think there was a degree of contentment. The reason we chase what we chase today, you know, the society we live in, is what the media dictates. More is better. You know, I mean, I, I know there's a number of you. I mean, Ryan, uh, Ren's been an incredible example in this. Dan Rowley, there's a number of you that had all kinds of debt. And then when you decided to engage, you were able to reduce it. And it's given you the ability to do so many things for so many other people because of that. And that's something that, I mean, we've, we've been there. We came into the kingdom. We were, you know, uh, incredible Americans. We were spending 3% more than all the money we were making. Now, 3% debt above and beyond that may not have been that bad, but our, our weekly giving should have been $200 a month. We were given 20 bucks, or 200 a week, and we were given 20 bucks, and we're feeling good about it. You know, and it took sitting down with Keith Rose and Keith Rose getting us on a plan and paying down all that crazy credit card debt that, you know, there goes. We pay the minimum, man. You're, you know, <laughs> it'll follow you to the grave or your, or your uh, kids or grandkids or whatever. But just really thinking that through, and that Paul goes on, he says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into what? Ruin and destruction. So the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I put before you tonight, you all know somebody that falls within this category. That's why we've got to be careful because it is... Very, very alluring. Satan is great with the lies and the deceit about what's going to make your life better. And if we buy into it and we pursue it, it can lead us right out of the kingdom. You know, we talked about some numbers tonight when it came to individual giving. And I know that some people cite uh, Matthew 6, 3. Uh, you know, I don't really want you looking at my business. You shouldn't be looking at my business. Matthew 3 reads... When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And in the, in, the, in the reference that is being given in that context, it's out of context. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. You go back and you read Matthew 6 in context. It says in verse 1, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men and to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, 
so that you're giving maybe in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What is this about? The left and the right hand. You put out the right hand with what you're given, and you pat yourself on the back with the left hand. You make a big deal about how awesome you are. And you, there's accolades about how great you are. And we, we see it in, the, in some of the references with the religious leaders of the day. The one that comes to mind for me is we got the tax collector and the Pharisee praying. You know, the Pharisee's like, man, I am so grateful I'm not like that tax collector. He is such a derelict, you know, beating his chest all proud about what he gives and what he does. That isn't what God looks to. God looks to the humility that we see demonstrated with the tax collector. You know, going back to 1 Timothy, just really keeping in mind when it comes to gratitude and being sacrificial. In verse 17, it continues, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will also lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from the godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in doing so have wandered from the faith. Grace be to you. You know, he, as Andy stated earlier, he hit this passage. We see Paul commanding two things here. One, command those who are rich, and then going on again, giving a balance. In that not to put their hope in their wealth, but to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Ultimately, what we're talking about here is being sacrificial. And sacrificial means much more than giving money. And this is one of the things that I am very inspired by, what we see taking place in South Bay, in the areas that you serve. Again, this is being a steward, taking care of what God has blessed you with. You know, when we first got here, I think our very first Christmas party was somewhere in the realm of 30 people when it came to those that were, those that were actually serving in various capacities that we have in the church. We're pushing 100 people for our upcoming service party here on Sunday night. That's phenomenal. It just shows that there, this is taken serious on that level when it comes to stewardship. And many of you give above and beyond a tithe. But it's a matter of each ligament doing its work. You know, we think about Jesus. Being sacrificial is generated from a grateful spirit. And we see this in Mark 10. Jesus was grateful for his role, knowing that as we're in our series about Between Two Trees, we have the tree of life in the garden. We have the tree of life that's talked about again in Revelations. And Jesus is that tree in the middle, the cross that he was put up on, that is the bridge that gives us the ability to enter into God's kingdom, to be able to spend eternity with God forever. And that gratitude for his role is demonstrated in that in verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 45 of Mark, it says, He didn't come to be a slave master, but a slave who would give his life to rescue many people. You know, we see the measure of Jesus', Jesus generosity and this incredible sacrificial gift of salvation, redemption, and reconciliation. And I think for us, really thinking this through, are we not a part of a, God's church? What's the religion that's involved? Are we Muslim? Some of you may have been. If you're sitting here as a baptized disciple today, that's probably not the case. It's Christianity. 
and really thinking this through and that we are God's church, which means we practice the religion of Christianity, and in that way we are religious. That's the religion we practice, right? So in closing, if you turn with me to Matthew 23, 23, we'll close it out here. Jesus is addressing the religious uh, leaders of his day. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You know, what does this mean for us? What are the practicals here? You know, unlike Paul... I'm going to suggest some things that are not commands here, but really thinking this through. You know, we can talk about how tithing is in the New Testament. There's a lot of things that aren't in the New Testament that God established throughout the Bible. One of the things that we see here is he went after the religious leaders of the day who patted themselves on the back for the fact that they were so meticulous about making sure they gave a tenth of everything, they got right down to their herb garden. I mean, their herb garden, we see their spices. I mean, that's crazy. Can you imagine going in your spice cabinet and, you know, pouring out a tenth of each one of your containers? Wanting to make sure that you didn't miss it, that, you know, you cover all your bases. And he says to them, there's, there's hard issues here that they were missing, which was justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But he does go on and say, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And we go back to the Old Testament. Those of the Old Testament... Were they delivered? With all the sacrifices they put out there for their sins, had they been delivered? They were willing to engage on that level for a promise. I believe we're called to engage on that level from a standpoint of what we've received. We've already received, heaven's ours. We own the deed. The minute we were baptized into the waters of forgiveness, our sins were washed away. We're clothed in Christ. God sees us as he does his son. We have that deed in our hands. But we've got to be careful. And that in light of the admonishments that Jesus has throughout the New Testament, in light of what Paul's established, Satan can get in there and pull us away. So I've got a couple suggestions this evening that I'd like to give you. In closing, if you've been giving zero... What I would like to do is recommend you go back and read all the teachings of Jesus, speaking on money, then repent, get online, and set up your weekly offering. If you've been giving but haven't been tithing, when you fill out the pledge sheets, your offering in January, biblical recommendation, I think tithing is a starting place. And what I would like you to think through and pray about and discuss, if you're married, is what that tithe would look like, and not out of compulsion, but realizing what Jesus Christ has done for you personally, think through about putting that on your offering for 2018. If you've been giving a tithe, 10% of your gross income in that contribution has been the same dollar amount for more than the last couple of years, I'd appeal you to examine what being sacrificial would look like and change your offering accordingly. And then finally, I think one of the things that would make things a lot easier when it comes to the overall administration of the church is if you haven't set up an offering on CCB, get on CCB before Sunday and set that up. 
you know, I think when it comes to a lot of different things that we've talked about here tonight, if there's any issues with anything I've said this evening, I, I want to encourage you to come talk to me, come talk to Andy, wrap me out, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever you feel most comfortable with. But before you come to me, I would admonish you to go back and read everything Jesus has to say about money and pray about it and then come talk to me. Let's get beyond just maintaining the status quo. Let's start dreaming again, step up with the sacrifice that will enable God to work through us with multiple churches throughout South Bay, multiple church sites, the personnel and the equipment it would take for that to take place, and really start building a, you know, the as you may know, our uh, Spanish-speaking ministry, MLA, is in the process of getting their own building. How about a building fund? I know we've got a couple of you here in this fellowship that could stroke the down payment. It's just a matter of what we're willing to look and do for God when it comes to stewardship. And start adding, I, I, you know, I, I love the fact that we've got some youth on staff now. Let's really go after adding more Gen Next to our staff. You know, as David did with Solomon, let us set the next generation to know the God of our Father, serve Him with a whole heart and a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands the intention of every thought. If you seek Him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Lest none of us fall into that latter category and just really continue to embrace the amazing grace of God and the sacrifice that took place for us 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.